to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And today on the show, we are talking about the bank that stole the money. <laughs> this is, am I, I allowed to say that? I was watching a bank robbery documentary on Neon or something over the long weekend, and you don't really hear much about banks robbing their customers, but... Is that what happened? Now, look, we're just joking about the banks actually doing this, but I can understand how the story that we're going to talk about today, it would feel like it if you were the property investor. So what happened here was a couple based down in Dunedin sold their investment property and then the money, the profit from selling that property, the bank took that money without even a courtesy call to the customer to let them know what they were doing with it. Now, here's what they actually did. Couple sells this investment property in Dunedin for about 500k. After that, they paid off their mortgage and they walked away with 300k, $300,000 after paying real estate fees and their mortgage. But since that mortgage was initially approved, partner one in the couple had changed jobs and then partner two was doing a master's degree and so wasn't working. So because their circumstances had changed, what does the bank do? Well, without even picking up the phone, they take almost half of it, $145,000, and they pay it off this couple's personal mortgage. Well, how did they know the situation had changed without picking up the phone? That's a very good question. They must have seen that the job had recently changed because actually in the article, it doesn't say that his Income had changed, Mm. but he had simply changed jobs. Mm. Now, let me ask you this, Andrew. Why is this bad? And just so you know, their names were Mike and Claire. Well, I think the biggest thing is that it just took the choice away from Mike and Claire. And this is an interesting argument because I think Lauren and I were discussing this after reading this. And I think think Ollie McKenna, our GM, was in the car with us. I can't remember, but we were having this conversation as to whether or not it's the right or the wrong thing to do. And Lauren's immediate comment was, well, it's their money. Well, yes, it is, but you also owe the bank a lot more than what the money is that you've got to pay off the loan. So you've got to kind of consider it from both sides. But these guys wanted to renovate their property. So that's probably a really interesting point for me because they had the cash to reinvest in property. So it was actually going to better the bank's LVR position, the the equity position after they'd done that probably as well. And because there was no communication, that's probably the part where it doesn't feel great to me. And, you know, it could also be that these guys were going to take a year off and, and live off the proceeds. Again, they do still owe money to the bank. So you might want to have a conversation around that. But if the bank had had this conversation, maybe they might have got a different outcome. Well, the main question that you guys at home are probably thinking is, well, why did this happen? Was it due to the triple CFA, the law that we keep hearing about? Actually, in this case, no. It might have exacerbated the situation, but the banks have always had or have had for a while the ability to do this from when the Responsible Lending Code came in about seven, eight years ago. And so what they've done is they've, because they've sold the property and the mortgage was with their bank, their main bank, the bank has had that mortgage repaid and this has triggered a credit assessment. Now, the reason that happened is because they've released their hold or their security over the property they had a mortgage on. So in releasing that, in getting that mortgage repaid, 
they've re-looked at this couple's situation and said, well, can they still afford the rest of the lending that they've got? And this was actually another part to the conversation. I think we were driving back from the airport the other day on Friday, and back when I was at the BNZ, which was a long time ago now, but also this was just the policy for a long period of time. The way it would work is that the bank would approve the loan and they'd look at LVR and servicing. And then when you came to sell, the only thing the bank really cared about was LVR. Is there going to be enough equity here in the event of something going wrong? And if there was, they never looked at servicing again. That's what's changed. But you can understand why they would only look at LVR because if you've been happily making your repayments for the last 15 years, 100%. surely that is evidence that you can afford this loan because yes. you've been doing it. It's more evidence than having some formula that says you can or can't, right? That's the part that I can understand. Now, they've looked at Mike's income and it might have been that the other partner, Claire, you know, maybe she was working at the start, now she's doing her master's or maybe he has had an income drop, wasn't too clear. But what they've said is under these test conditions... You can no longer afford that 355k worth of mortgage that you've currently got. Now, because you can't, we assess that you can afford 210k. So you can still afford some debt. So we're not going to take all of those proceeds, but we're going to take some of those proceeds and pay it down to the amount that our calculations say that you can afford. Now, triple CFA, the new law that you're reading all about in the papers, that has some part to do, but only in how much they think he can now afford. The banks have always had the ability to take proceeds if they don't think your serviceability can meet their criteria, but it just makes how much they will have taken from those proceeds may have increased because of triple CFA. Now, is all lost in this situation? Can they get any of that money back? Well, yes, they can. I mean, they can go back to the bank and apply for a top up on their mortgage, which is essentially what would have to be required to get this done. So they'll get an additional increase to their loan and get some of that money back. But it might require Mike to have been in his job for a little bit longer because if he has changed job in a relatively short period of time, there might be, and this again is a question that you would ask the customer, does he have a probation period in his contract? So if he's got a three-month probation period, often banks will consider that you're more exposed from a servicing standpoint because you might not have that job locked and loaded yet. That's where you should also talk to your boss though. So for instance, I don't tell you about this actually, Andrew, but we hired into last year a new person to join one of the companies here at Opus. And she said, well, I really want to do some renos to my property and I've got a mortgage application with the bank at the moment and they've told me that I can't have this 90-day trial. At which point I was thinking, okay, okay, so we're going to have to get rid of that if we want you to join. So that's fine. What we ended up doing in that situation, as I said... Forging my signature. No, 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 no. I think the bank accepted mine for whatever reason. (laughs) (laughs) Joke's on them, I'm not a director of that company. (laughs) And... And what ended up happening, uh, banking jokes, what ended up (laughs) happening was she joined the team and we still had the 90-day trial in place, but I said, get the mortgage conditional on us signing that away. So basically what you wanted to know is that that offer was in place and then you just, you wave it there. Yeah, at the point. So then that would give us maybe 14 days just to make sure that that she wasn't a complete loony. (laughs) No, we only made that mistake once. (laughs) (laughs) Just to make sure that, okay, look, there's some security for us, but then wrote a letter of waiving it later on. Yes. Now, what's really interesting about this is it could have actually been avoided. Claire and Mike could have set this up, but it's not their fault. I'm not blaming them. But there is a way to get around this, to stop this from happening. Andrew, what is it? 
So that's what we call split banking. And basically, it is what it says on the tin, using different banks. So Ian and I have done a number of shows about this. I'm sure you can search those in our catalogue. But this is where you basically use different banks for different houses. And again, back in my days of BNZ, there's no way I would have encouraged someone to use split banking because I wanted all their mortgages. And even when I was a broker, there's no way that I would have used split banking because it was just unnecessary back then. And then for any long-term listeners of the show, You'll know the story of some of my favourite clients up in Wellington and they had a really unfortunate situation where I'd helped them acquire four rental properties over a number of years and then they were coming to retirement and they were downsizing their own house hoping to take some of the sale proceeds and the bank took all of their sale proceeds and all of their savings and everything because it was all with that one bank. And even their KiwiSaver, wasn't it? KiwiSaver, closed their credit card limits, got rid of revolving credit. It was terrible. Bank that cancelled Christmas. Yeah, the, <laughs> the bank Grinch of Christmas. But if they'd used multiple banks, and again, that wasn't even a conversation that we'd had. They'd had a good relationship with their bank and we never would have even considered that as being something that was necessary back then. If they'd used different banks, then they could have held on to those properties for longer because if they'd sold their house and downsized it, that bank would have just reduced the mortgage on that particular property, keeping all the rentals safe. So what Mike could have done in this situation, Mike and Cleary with their mortgage broker, is when they were still in, let's say, a better financial position. So let's say- More bankable conditions. Yeah, okay. So before maybe Claire went on her master's degree or before he'd changed jobs, in whatever situation where that mortgage was approved, they could have taken that loan from that bank, moved to a different bank, moved that mortgage to a different bank with that investment property because the mortgage was so low and the property was worth enough money where it could have supported itself. The LVR was lower than 60%. There was plenty of equity in it. They could have taken that to a different bank, and then when they sold it, the original bank doesn't trigger a credit assessment. They don't get another credit assessment at the original bank, and because of that, they wouldn't have taken the proceeds. Now, am I right in thinking, Andrew, that let's say that they moved that at a different bank, they got 300k in the bank account, and they moved all 300k back to their original bank, would that trigger a credit assessment? No, absolutely not. So in that case, they would have had the 300k in the bank account where they wanted, but it was just different structuring. Correct. And I think that's a really good lesson for people. If you are going to do something major in your financial life, and that could be changing your contract at work, for example. So say you're in- You're going to move to a contract. Say you're in car sales, and all of a sudden you're going to change from a salary to a contract so you can make more money. And you've been on salary long enough to build up a bit of a net work. So you know you're going to make more money. But now that you're self-employed and you need two years worth of financials, if you discharge a mortgage, then you're going to have the same credit assessment happen. And it could well be that you can't evidence your income and therefore can't use it for the credit assessment. So before you go doing anything like that, that's when you look at your overall position, talk to a broker and split your banking off to multiple banks. Now, I do think that the real issue here, though, was around bank communication. Yeah. And one of the issues that also came up was one of the bank staff told them that the issue was the triple CFA. The reason we're taking the money is the triple CFA, which actually wasn't the case. No. And probably the reason for that is they'll be having so much training that that'll be in the forefront of their head. And you could argue that responsible lending in the triple CFA, they have been there for a long time, but they haven't been legislation. So it's kind of true. Now, just again, we're not beating up good old Mike and Claire from Dunedin saying, oh, you should have done this. You should have known about it. Because until somebody tells you, and until your mortgage broker tells you that you should be doing this, 
then you'd never think about it. And so this is just a bit of a cautionary tale for people out there that when you're thinking about selling, you might want to restructure your lending first. Right, let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Property Academy podcast. really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you'd like some help with your property portfolio, looking at growing that this year, you might like to come and see us. I'm going to drop a link in our show notes to our program where you can read about what that entails, or just go to opuspartners.co.nz. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Emma Knight. And I'm Andrew Nichol. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time, 